This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up? Real MVPs, Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanson Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast. Brandon, your one-stop shop for what two sports do we cover? We cover basketball and football. Of the college variety. Thank you guys for joining us either of the YouTube variety or on podcast services around the world. I actually found something interesting the other day, Brandon, is because we are on TuneIn, you know what you could do? Um, Do you have an Alexa at home? I don't. Or have you ever thought about getting an Alexa? I haven't. We are not sponsored by Alexa, by the way. Not yet. Um, The reason why I bring it up is my mom has recently gotten an Alexa. Does she like her? And she does. She got a second one for the other room. That's how much (laughs) she liked Alexa. Um, But I was just, for shits and giggles, was like, oh, well, what if I tried to search our podcast? And I went, hey, Alexa, play the primetime podcast. Because we were on TuneIn Radio, guess what I could listen to? Through my Alexa, any MVP podcast. You can say any MVP. The only one that me and Alexa were kind of fighting over is the onside kick because I kept saying play the onside kick and she kept saying there's no sidekick podcast. <laughs> so she wasn't really understanding my Apparently she wasn't getting it. I was like, Alexa, play the onside kick. And she's like, there is no the sidekick podcast. I was like, forget it. I got the rest of them to play. But- Fun fact I found out. So we're on TuneIn. You can you can listen to the podcast on your Alexa devices. Also, if you're on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, which I know most people do have an iTunes account, make sure to go and give the Primetime Podcast a uh, rate and a review. It really helps us out. The positive ratings that we get um, really help us out and make sure that more people um, can see this. And also, we have finally at this point, I think, covered up that bad rating we got like a year or two ago um, (laughs) where we were technically a couple of good old boys, which we might be for this first segment because we're talking about the SEC. But please go and rate and review the Primetime Podcast and all the other MVP podcasts on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. we got a jam-packed show. We're going to be talking about college basketball. We're making a sandwich. Usually we do this on the Rick and Johnny Podcast. We're going to do it on the PTP. We're going to talk about college basketball Look at the Kentucky Wildcats, who had a big win this past week over the number one team in the nation, the Tennessee Volunteers. Then we're going to go into NFL draft territory and take a look at Marquise Brown, who had a foot surgery for or surgery on his foot, I should say, for an injury that he's had. He will not be at the combine, won't be at OU's pro day. How will that affect his draft stock? That's what we're going to look at. Then we're going to bring it back to the hardwood for the end to talk a little bit about the Nevada Wolfpack, who right now I believe are the seventh team in the nation um, and are a four seed in Joe Lenardi's bracketology. But, Brandon, we'll start with those Kentucky Wildcats. And this is a team that, except for the Louisville game and except for the Alabama game, have not lost since they lost in overtime December 8th to Seton Hall. The only SEC teams to get the better of them has been Alabama. That was a two-point loss. They lose to LSU on the February 12th. Two-point loss. Two close games. They have some big wins over North Carolina, who was ranked Mississippi State, Auburn, Kansas, and now Tennessee. The question I want to ask you is right now, 
Kentucky is sitting on the two line with teams like Michigan State, teams like Michigan, and teams like North Carolina. But I want to ask you, when we get to the end of the year and we get to Selection Sunday, will Kentucky end up being a one seed in March Madness? I think that we could see Kentucky do that. And the team that they most likely would be be jumping would probably be Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Um but Kentucky's going to have to go the rest of the way, finish out things strong. I believe that they can. The only other ranked team right now is Tennessee. They'll have to play Tennessee again, who's shown this year that they are a really good basketball team. They've been number one for a couple of weeks, or they were number one for a couple of weeks, no longer number one, ranked number five right now. But this is a Tennessee team that's shown a lot of talent, that's shown a lot of fight, a lot of grit. So that'll be a tough one, especially because it's on the road at Tennessee. They mm-hmm. beat Tennessee, yes, but they did it at home, 86 to 69. But it was a pretty good butt whooping. Uh, I will say 17 mm-hmm. points. That's pretty big. But you do have to then just take care of the rest of your business. If you do that, you position yourself in a really good spot for that number one seed. I think Kentucky could definitely do it. I think that there certainly are people out there who are going to say, no, Kentucky is locked in, but they're locked in as a number two, and they're not going to be moving. But Kentucky and Michigan, probably the two most likely teams to be able to make a jump to a number one seed. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is that everyone's going to say the Zags are the ones that are going to be jumped only because of the non-conference, or the conference, I should say, that they play. And plus, you look at their non-conference schedule and two of their losses come against North Carolina who's on the two line and then more interesting Lee that Tennessee team that Kentucky also has beaten now the one thing I think that's going to be interesting with Gonzaga is and this is a selection Sunday discussion if you're looking at the Bulldogs and the Wildcats one thing that you could throw out there in defense of the Bulldogs is, well, wait a second. Kentucky lost to Duke to open the year. The Zags actually beat Duke on a neutral site. It wasn't like, and I think that the Kentucky game was also on a neutral site, as that was the State Farm Classic, I believe it was. Um, but could that be, I'll ask you, could that be something that they look at on Selection Sunday that goes, hey, you know what? Yes, I know Kentucky beat Tennessee once, maybe twice, depending on how that other game, the next one goes. But look at Duke has been a team. Let's say Duke is the top overall seed by the end of the year. Could the committee go, hey, well, Kentucky lost to this Duke team. Gonzaga beat them. I'm going to say no, only because that was their very first game of the year. And yeah, it was a butt whooping by Duke. Yeah, Yeah, it was a butt whooping by Duke. 118-84, One eighteen eighty four, but I think at the same time, Kentucky was still trying to get their bearings on, on, on everything, and they mm-hmm. came out against a Duke team that was certainly inspired and showed how much talent they have this season, and that's a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. And all of their players, all of their scores scored. Everything went well for Duke, and not everything went well for uh, the Kentucky Wildcats. So I don't think that they're going to hold that against Kentucky too much, even with Gonzaga being able to beat the Blue Mm -hmm. Devils still early in the season when they did that. 
I think that that ultimately ends up being uh, uh, some sort of wash. Now, another thing I'm going to look at, and really quick, I got to pull up the ACC tournament bracket to see how everything kind of lays out right now. But one thing you got to look at is Virginia and Duke. They're both on the one line, or the, the number one seed line. But they are also going to probably play each other, could play each other again in the ACC tournament, the conference tournament. And right now, based on the standings that we have for the ACC, and this could all change, is Duke Duke is one, Virginia is two, North Carolina is three. Now, I say this could all change because I expect Duke to end up being the number one overall seed because, A, they went ahead and beat Virginia twice, but something that could throw a wrench into that is they play North Carolina twice to end the year. Not only do they play North Carolina twice to end the year, they're going to play on the road this time in or at Syracuse. They're going to play that Syracuse Orange team that beat them in overtime in or at Duke, I should say, at the um, with the Cameron Crazies there um, on Mike Shashevsky court, Coach K court. Um, that is something that North Carolina, like part of my head goes, yeah, Duke's going to roll them just because what Duke has been doing all year. But then there's a part of me that goes, and we say this in college football and we use it also in college basketball. When you get to these rivalry games, throw everything you know out the window. Because these teams are going to come to play. Like, North Carolina could come into that game going, you know what? This is our Super Bowl. This is our national championship. Especially if they lose on February 20th, they could come in March 9th and say, hey, you know what? We might not be able to knock off, the like, to be the number one seed. But let's go ahead and knock off this team going into the tournament to give us some confidence going in but also kind of maybe shake the confidence of Duke. I don't think that would work exactly like that. It might help the Tar Heels, but I don't think it's shaking the confidence of Duke because even when they lost to Syracuse, it's like, oh, what are they going to do? Boom, they win by two against Virginia and go on another win streak. But could the ACC kind of help Kentucky kind of figure out where their seeding is going to be either one and two? And in the end, is it maybe a Virginia team? that falls if they lose to, I know I didn't mention, they play Louisville twice, who they played uh, Duke tough, if I can get that out of my head. They played Duke tough, so I'm assuming maybe they could play Virginia tough as well. Am I right to even think about that, and could the ACC be a huge impact, like impact effector, that's a weird term, but I'm throwing it out anyways, with Kentucky and their seeding? Well, I don't think that... The, I personally, I think right now the Virginia Cavaliers are going to be locked the two, in the two seed in their conference I, tournament. I, I I think that they're 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 kind of locked in right now. With I, I think they'll be a number one come the the national tournament. Mm-hmm. I think that they're they're a, a two in their own tournament. They're, they're, well, the number excuse me, the number two uh, team in their in their tournament, right behind Duke. That's mm-hmm. just that's not happening at all. Duke yeah. is staying number one, remaining number one. Uh, it's it is 
going to be interesting that ACC tournament and to see what happens there, to see who comes out on top. Is it going to be Duke? If it's not Duke, I'm going to be a little nervous. Mm-hmm. If it's not Duke, I'm I'm nervous for them come tournament time because they are supposed to be this team. Um, I, I guess. They're, you know, they're, they're the there's, there's there's no reason why Duke doesn't come out on top. If yeah. they don't, there's a there's an issue there. Something obviously went wrong. But I, I think that th- most of this, to me, in my mind, is mm-hmm. is kind of locked in right now. Duke's going to be a, a number one seed. Virginia's mm-hmm. going to be a number one seed, in my mind. Gonzaga and even Tennessee mm-hmm. are questions to me. Because if Tennessee loses again to Kentucky... If Tennessee loses any other games, why couldn't Kentucky then jump over Tennessee? Mm-hmm. Tennessee goes to the two, Kentucky goes to the one. Then Gonzaga stays, or Michigan, possibly how they finish out their season, jumps over Gonzaga and they go to the one. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga's then at two. So those are some different things that I'm looking at. Locked in right now at a one mm-hmm. are Duke and Virginia. Can, uh, Tennessee and Gonzaga, in my mind, not locks at this point. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up the – because first off, I will say this. If you're sitting there going, guys, this is a Kentucky segment. What the hell are you guys doing talking so much on the ACC? All of this kind of is interchangeable, and it's kind of like ebbs and flows of like something happens in the ACC, it's going to affect Tennessee. It's going to affect um, Kentucky. And the interesting thing that you – I was going to say something about the ACC and how it affects it, but I'm going to go on this kind of tangent because you mentioned Tennessee. They don't just play Kentucky to end the season. They also play their lone game against LSU, who right now, to me, it's a three-dog race in the SEC for the top spot. You've got Kentucky, you've got Tennessee, and you've got LSU. And LSU, if they're able to – when Tennessee comes to town – if they're able to beat the Volunteers, that will only help the Tigers. Because right now as we enter, we're recording this on Monday night, February 18th. The standings entering tonight are LSU 11-1, and tied with Tennessee 11-1, and and then you've got the Kentucky Wildcats at 10-2. and If Tennessee, let's say, just loses that LSU game, well, they are on the two-line in their own conference tournament. If they win out, they'll be on the one line. If they lose both to Kentucky and LSU, then they'll be on the three line in their conference tournament. And the thing I find most interesting about the game from this past weekend, and I know Kentucky will probably try to do it again, it'll be interesting if LSU tries to do this. Kentucky limited Grant Williams, a guy who on Saturday before the game I was talking – praises on the fast break because we did our mock draft. They only limited him to four shots in that game. He went three of four from the field, two of those being three-pointers, eight of nine from the line. So without those eight, he would have only finished with eight points on the day. This is a guy who is averaging six makes and about 10 to 11 field goals, shots per game. They limited him to four. They bum-rushed him and said, hey, you know what? We're taking you out of the game. We're going to let someone else beat us, or beat us, if anything. And I wonder if LSU 
tries to do the same thing of, hey, let's go ahead and try to just take him out of the game. Let Admiral Schofield try to beat us because the, one of them can't beat us. Only two of them can. No, I, I agree with you there. I think it's going to be interesting as to what happens the rest of the way. That's mm-hmm. We've gotten to the point where, okay, you know, we went through the season. We're at the beginning. Yeah, okay, this team's, you know, doing well or this team's struggling. You know, they'll pick it back up. You've got the whole middle. Of this We haven't even reached the middle of the mm-hmm. season yet. And then, boom. We've, we're at the middle. Okay, now let's see who's got the stretch run. We are at the point past the stretch run. Who's going to do well in these final couple of games? Mm-hmm. Who's going to do well in the games that a lot of people are watching because a loss here, a bad loss, that shows up on your resume, that could really hurt you. A big win, a good win, that can really bump you to the next level. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. And like you mentioned, Ricky, you brought up the game that they also have against LSU. That's on February 23rd. That's coming right up. That's Saturday. That's going to be a big game, and it's on the road. It's at LSU. And this is an you know, an, an LSU team that Kentucky just lost to. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a big one. If Tennessee loses there and then Tennessee loses at home against Kentucky, Tennessee's hold on a number one seed, it's fallen. Well, and the thing and it's that, and it's and it's certainly uh, fallen in their in their own conference mm-hmm. then as well. And the thing I think it comes down to, and this is kind of the ultimate answer I have for this, is whether or not Kentucky will be a one seed in March Madness in the NCAA tournament comes down to what we see from the SEC tournament and what we see from the ACC tournament end of the year and. Um, in the tournament, because I'll start with the SEC first, because that's where Kentucky's at. I read the standings off just not too long ago. You've got LSU 1, Tennessee 2, Kentucky 3. It is super important that, especially for LSU and Tennessee, because they kind of control their own destinies in a sense, because they are a one loss, and Kentucky is a two loss in conference, LSU... Besides maybe Florida, Alabama, maybe a Vanderbilt could sneak a win. The only tough team, and I know that in conference play anyone can sneak a win from you, the only ranked team they have left is Tennessee. Kentucky, same thing. Yeah, they play Auburn. Yeah, they play Florida at the end of the year. But they've got Tennessee as the only ranked team on their schedule. And like I said, Tennessee's got to play LSU, and they have to play Kentucky to end the year. And if you're not that number one seed, the odds are, let's say they end like they are now, LSU has the biggest advantage because LSU, if, let's say, all the top seeds win out, that means LSU is playing Old Miss in their first game, are playing Old Miss in the semifinals to go to the championship, whereas Tennessee and Kentucky would have to play again. So for me, it's you got to get that number one seed in the SEC because I'll let the other let the other two beat each other up, where I'm hopefully waiting on the other side in a championship game, and then in the ACC. And this is interesting only because 
I'm not going to play the woulda, coulda, shoulda game. Virginia's playing right now as we're recording this. Virginia Tech, right now, 17-58, 33-32. And I know that that game's going to be finished by the time this goes up, so I'm not going to play huge into, ooh, what happens if that wins or losses. But based off of where we're at right now, Duke, Virginia, UNC, Virginia Tech, those are the top four seeds in it. That means Duke would play Virginia Tech, Virginia would play UNC. More importantly also, the 8-9 game, Duke would play the winner of that. If the 8 seed wins that game, guess who the 8 seed is right now? NC State, a team that could give Duke problems at that next level. And even, a, and even let's say, Louisville wins their first game. Louisville beats Virginia Tech. Then Duke, Be even as the one, for that. has Be to play real Louisville. For that. Possibly in the semifinal. So these are the two tournaments I'm kind of looking at because for me, how I see it playing out is either if Duke plays Virginia for the ACC crown, both of them will be one lines. And that's what I think will end up happening. I got Duke and Virginia on the one line. I've got Gonzaga still on the one line because they're going to win out. I feel like they're going to win out. They're going to win their conference tournament. It's going to be really hard to not give them a number one seed. And then it's going to come down to two things for me. It's going to come down to how did Kentucky finish and how did the, like at that point, it's going to come down to how did Kentucky finish compared to Tennessee. And if LSU, let's say LSU won the SEC tournament, then to me it comes down to, okay, what did Michigan State and Michigan do? Because if Kentucky falls short and Tennessee doesn't win that SEC tournament crown, expect a team like maybe Michigan or Michigan State to steal that final one seed. And see, but that's also why I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at the, the Big Ten tournament a little mm-hmm. bit as well. You kind of have to keep an eye. That's yes, the third, that's I, yes, the third I, one that's I know kind it's, of out I know there. it's kind of the quote-unquote <laughs> lesser when you're looking at the ACC and the SEC, especially I, I always like the especially right now. I know you love the Big Ten tournament, <laughs> but Illinois is you know, never worth anything in it. But um, It's usually good basketball. <laughs> but you have nothing to say on the Illinois part. So Ayo. Here's, the, here's, the, here's the part is that um, – Depending on how things go, ACC and SEC, how things uh, you know shake up with uh, Gonzaga, look for Michigan. Can Michigan come out and win the Big Ten tournament? And if they do that, Michigan may secure could con- secure themselves a one seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it would. It, it's a longer shot, I think, for Michigan, but they could do it. I think that there's more of an opportunity. For Kentucky to sneak in because Kentucky, depending on what happens with Tennessee and how they play, both in the same conference, both Tennessee, Kentucky, SEC. If Tennessee loses to Kentucky, Tennessee loses to LSU, I see Kentucky bouncing right over them and taking the number one, uh, a number one seed uh, from them and Tennessee slipping right to where Kentucky was at a two. Now, here's a question for you, and I'm going to ask you this on the podcast. Um, for, I believe this session is two games. How does $183 um, say to you for a uh, Big Ten semifinal? 
Because we could go to the Big Ten tournament, Brandon, and see the two semifinal games for 183 bucks a pop, row five, in the um, upper deck. Doesn't sound too bad. Pretty good. Doesn't sound too bad. Same, same amount the, of seats. It's the that, fact of uh, being there. Yeah, same amount of seats that uh, Dave, Dave, Sean, and I went to for the Bulls. Um, because it is at... Why would you go to a Bulls oh, game? Oh, it's at the UC this why would, year. Why would you put yourself through a Bulls game? Well, it, Dave's birthday, and Dave wanted to... Like, it was all for Dave's birthday, plus we got to see Paul George miss a game winner, so I guess that was That's nice. okay. I'm kidding. Um, We're, I'm going to a Bulls game as well. We're going to see the Lakers and the Bulls. Ooh, March 12th. LeBron James. Yeah. Lonzo Ball. I wish Lonzo Ball was in a Bulls jersey, but 80, 183 bucks. We'll keep that in our uh, back pocket, row 5, section 317. We could see the two semifinal games. March 16th, or we could go to the championship game on the 17th. I didn't look up what those ticket prices are, but any final thoughts on Kentucky before we move into some NFL draft talk? No, I think we got it covered. I'm just very interested to see how we'll probably be revisiting this mm-hmm. point uh, very, very shortly uh, within the next couple of weeks to check back in. Then let's do this to put a final end on it. I kind of gave mine. Let's do our rough draft prediction number one because these will change um, after, like, right before the conference tournaments. Who the one seeds are, who we think they'll be selection Sunday. I'm going to go Duke. I am going to go Gonzaga. I am going to go Kentucky, Virginia. That's what I'm going to do. No particular order. Those are my one seeds Duke, Zags, Cavaliers, Wildcats. Could change after the regular season. I'm going to go with uh, Duke, Kentucky, Virginia, and Gonzaga. Okay. Did you just go the same as me? I think did I did. I think I did, but I'm thinking Usually about it. I just, agree. I just don't know if Michigan's going to have enough. And if, I would if love Gonz- for and them if to Gen- be a one And seat. if Gonzaga is able to finish <laughs> out things the the right way how they would like to, I think they're they're going to be locked in there. But if they if they have a misstep and mm-hmm. Michigan continues to, to kind of roll, we could be seeing Michigan – flip-flop them, and so who, we'll see. And who knows, maybe the Tar Heels beat the uh, Duke Blue Devils in one of their games. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Will Kentucky be a one seed? How do the one seeds kind of play out in your mind? Let us know what you're thinking in that comment section. But Brandon, let's move on into our next topic, and we're taking a look at the NFL Draft. And we got some big draft news. Maybe next week, I will say, Maybe next week. Oh, no, next week's the big board. Never mind. Um, I was going to say NFL Combine. Maybe we do kind of like a little NFL Combine preview, but we'll have to wait until after the Prime Combine to talk about some players because we got our NBA big board next week. Also, I'll throw this out here. Make sure to check out patreon.com backslash podcast If you want to join a PTP, support us at the $10 tier, and you get to join a podcast each and every month. You are at that tier, could come on the PTP and pick your topic every month. You support us at the $10 tier. Link down below in the description. But, Brandon, we're talking about Marquise Hollywood Brown today because one of my favorite names to say in the entire draft, he was my number one ranked wide receiver. I almost said kicker. It's not a kicker. Number one ranked wide receiver over a DJ Metcalf. News has come out today that... uh, Hollywood Brown is going to miss the combine. He's going to miss OU's pro day. He had surgery on his foot, which was a, and I hope I'm saying this right, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a med student, so don't hold it against me, uh, Liz Frank, a Liz Frank, 
injury. I hope I'm saying that right. Doctors, uh, med students, uh, you know, bio pre-health majors, please help me out. Um, Basically, he had surgery on his foot. Um, We'll miss the combine. I'll miss his pro day. However, should be, they notified all 32 teams. He should be ready for training camp. I will ask you the simplest, well, what seems like a simple question, but it probably won't be, how will this affect Marquise Brown's draft stock? I don't think it's going to affect it that much. I think a lot of teams would have liked to have seen him run the 40. Mm-hmm. He most likely would have come in about 4-2, 4-3 um, with, the, with the 40. I mean, he's got blazing quick speed at 5'10". He's a really great athlete, can get down the field in a hurry to catch the ball from the quarterback, but I don't think it hurts his draft stock a lot because teams already know he's got this quickness, and I know that with an injury to his foot, they may say, ooh, how is that going to affect him? How is that possibly going to slow him down? But we saw something similar to this Back in 2017, when Corey Davis was getting drafted by the Tennessee Titans, Mm -hmm. he still went fifth overall. He still went fifth overall. So, and he's had an okay career, but but he's also been on a team that's just okay. Based on the team he's on, I mean, he's the number one receiver for the Tennessee Titans. But by saying number one receiver doesn't mean much because it's the Tennessee Titans, which is unfortunate. We haven't been able to see all that he can be. Corey Davis got to throw out Chicago, Illinois kid. Got to throw that out from Chicago. So got to give some love to Corey Davis because he's from Chicago. But I think Hollywood Brown is going to end up being fine. He's got the talent. He's shown it off. He's had the numbers behind him. Mm -hmm. This maybe hurts him a little bit, but teams that still want that speed guy, teams that want that Deshaun Jackson type of speed, get down the field in a hurry type of guy, they're still going to want to go after him and get him. This is an offensive league, as every single league is these days. They want to see offense. They want to see scoring. They want to see big plays. He's a big play guy, and mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to deter teams too much. Now, is this going to hurt his draft stock? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a but little not, bit, but I'm not. Ta- but we're not, not talking significantly. No, and the thing, how I see this is when I say hurt his draft stock, He's still a first-rounder, I believe, with this. Where Because even in the ESPN article, it says that um, had Brown decided to participate in this month's combine, some draft experts would have expected him to run in the high 4-2s and low 4-3s, which would have cemented his status as one of the top wide receivers in the draft class, which he still is expected to be. Now, my question comes between... Where does he fall between? Because I think the earliest team, like the earliest spot I've had him in mock drafts and where I believe I've had him going in the last two, not going to spoil what Mark and I got for tomorrow because I filled out that mock draft um, today during lunch. But I believe the past two mock drafts I've had him in, I had him going to the Packers. So in the 3.0 that Mark and I did, yeah, I had him number 12 to the Packers, whereas Mark had him number 15 to the Redskins. I think that is still possible. To me, there's four teams that could now get him. Where The first one's the Packers. They have to decide whether they want Marquise Brown at the wide receiver 
giving Aaron Rodgers something to throw to, someone on the line to protect Aaron Rodgers, or a pass rusher, someone off the edge. That's what they need to decide. Then it's the Redskins. Their biggest decision is, do we want a weapon for Mark Sanchez to throw to, or do we want to draft a Drew Locke because Alex Smith and Colt McCoy might not be playing this season because they're coming off of their Seisman-like injuries from last year. Then there's the Titans, who could always go with a wide receiver. It's one of their top three needs. I see no way he falls below 20, though. Like, if he gets 20 to the Steelers, the Steelers snatch him up, which I think would be ironic um, because they would say, hey, we're going to trade your cousin and then draft you. So you're going to basically be filling in for your cousin, who we're now trading because he's related to Antonio Brown. The thing that I think hurt, and this is the part that hurts for Marquise Brown, is if he would have ran at the combine and ran a 4-2, then it would have been like, okay, what team in the top 10 is going to take him? What team is going to take a stab on him? Or what team is going to trade up for him? Because if he would have ran a quick enough 40 and showed some skills at the combine and the pro day, I think he could have cracked the top 10, especially like a team like the Lions at eight could have taken a stab at a wide receiver to give uh, Matt Stafford someone to throw to. A team like the Bills. Like, yeah, could you imagine Josh Allen's cannon of an arm with Hollywood Brown? Like, just tell him to run. Just run, and Josh Allen will hit you on that fly route. Like, that's where it hurts, where I think with this, 12 is still his highest point. But if he participated in the combine, he could have cracked the top 10. No, I, I think you're right. And and again, it's yes, this this injury puts you back a little bit because you never want to have this, especially when it's your foot, when you cannot participate mm-hmm. in the drills at all. I mean, he can't he's <laughs> yeah. not participating in anything with mm-hmm. the combine. And that's also another thing as well. I know that number one is going to be his speed. That's the biggest thing. But you want to kind of see some of the other drills that he's able to do. One, because it's just kind of interesting for any team to see, okay, how 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 quick is he? How agile is he? How are his... Especially the change of directions. Absolutely. Because, how are his cuts and being able to... Because like yes. he's a guy that can run his routes well, but let's be honest, the thing that he is most touted for is his speed and playmaking ability. So with him, I would want to see, how's your cut? So if I don't have you going on a fly route... Can you do all the other routes, and can I have you do everything else, or are you just my big play target where I say, go on a high post, go on a fly route, and my quarterback hits you? Yeah, no, exactly. I I, I agree with you, and that's why it would have been really great to see that from Brown, but obviously not going to. When he gets back, he's going to have to show them, be able to show them he is fully healthy, Mm-hmm. that he's able to still run at the same speed, that he's able to do everything that he needs to do and not necessarily convince, but show them that, hey, we are, we're good to go. I'm mm-hmm. back. I'm ready. I'm stronger than ever. You know, I feel even better than what I was before. Let's go mm-hmm. and then be able to show that to him. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the top 10. I know this is like, a well, Ricky, why are you doing this? But I'm just cementing the point of, what the combine could have done for him. So let's say he did participate in the combine, had a good 40, like they expected him to run. 
Here are all the teams that NFL.com lists wide receiver as one of their top three needs. You ready for it? Yeah. This is just in the top ten. The Cardinals, <laughs> the 49ers, the Jaguars, the Jets. I said Jaguars. I meant Jets, so I switched them up, but they both do. The Lions, the Bills, and the Broncos. What, seven of the ten? Seven of the ten need wide receiver, and then the next one would be, well, the Packers, they don't even list a wide receiver as one of their top three needs, but they could always take one. Seven of, and just because he doesn't do the combine, let's be honest, there still might be a team in the top ten that says, let's get ballsy and draft a wide receiver, but, like, that's a thing for me because I know people are going to say, well, we're Ricky. The Cardinals at one, the Jets at three, even the 49ers at two, there was no way that Marquise Brown was going to be over Nick Bosa, over Quinnen Williams. And I look at that and I go, yes, you're right. But who are two guys based off their position who could be that? Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray. And for me, that would have thrown an interesting wrench into this draft. And it still might. Like, a team might still look at him and go, you know what? Because the thing, too, is teams could still contact him and say, hey, we just want to talk to you. We just want to talk to you. We're thinking about drafting you. You're on our board. We want to ask you some questions. So they could still do that, like, even though he's not running at the combine. Let's be honest. Maybe the Cardinals go, hey, you know what, we could take Nick Bosa, but we got an offer from X team because they want to move up for Kyler Murray. We're going to move back. They could still take Hollywood Brown. Let's say a team like the Miami Dolphins try to move up for a quarterback. I know that the news is they're going to tank for Tua next year, but like I've seen the Lions, their GM, has said they're not going to um, – throw out the idea of trading up for a quarterback. You've got teams like the Redskins that could trade up for a quarterback. Like, all of this, some of those teams like the 49ers and stuff could trade back and then put themselves in a situation to maybe look wide receiver. Do you think that might be still in game for Marquise Brown, even if, let's say, he doesn't get over the 12 picks? Let's say his draft stock is 12 and below. Do you still think one of those top 10 teams could trade out of the top 10 because they want to give a quarterback needy team the leverage to get their quarterback and could be a surprise team to take Marquise Brown? I think we could definitely see that. And the the reason I say it is because those are just the team. The teams you named off are just the teams in the top 10. Mm-hmm. There's a ton more teams that need wide receivers. There are plenty more teams that are wide receiver needy that mm-hmm. are not in the top 10 that could go and get a guy like that and that need a guy to be able to stretch the field. That's been a problem for so many teams why they're not able to honestly do that well or move the ball is because they don't have someone who's able to get down the field. They don't have a playmaking wide receiver like that. They've got some guys who can do routes over the middle and they mm-hmm. can do some crossing patterns, but they don't have a guy who is quickness is his number one thing. Now that's not every team. And, and there are more teams outside of the top 10 that need that wide receiver. So there are going to be people ready and waiting for him to, to possibly be there. 
And the thing I'm looking at right now is I'm looking at some of these quarterback needy teams in the top 10 just to see what their other picks are. Because another thing we could see is let's say we get into that 12 to 20 range that I said is kind of like my range for where he could get drafted. So look at like the Packers at 12, the Redskins at 15. Um, Hell, Cleveland at 17. Like they could be a team because I know Mark mentioned during our free agency predictions, which you guys should check out, one of the wide receivers, he said, I think it was Antonio Brown, but I'm not sure. Um, One of the wide receivers, he was like, oh, don't be surprised if like the – if he goes to Cleveland, and I was like, really? Like, they already have Jarvis Landry. He goes, yeah, could you imagine, like, this guy next to Jarvis Landry? And it got me thinking, like, ooh, if he's there at 17, who's to stop, let's say, the Browns from saying, hey, we got Jarvis Landry on this side. Let's go and get Marquise Brown. Let's give Baker Mayfield more to work with. We just got him Kareem Hunt. Let's give him more to work with. Let's really go in on this. But that would, to me, depend on would Marquise Brown fit with what Freddie Kitchens wants to do with that offense, which I think he would because why wouldn't you want big plays with uh, big play? Big play Mayfield doesn't have the ring I was looking for, so we're going to scratch no. that one. We'll go back <laughs> no, to the drawing board on that one. But let's go to the extreme, the extreme extreme. Is there any way you could see either DJ Metcalf or a, or AJ Brown jumping Hollywood Brown? Because let's be honest, foot injury here. Metcalf is another one who we talked about if he was clean bill of health throughout his entire college career, could be the easy number one wide receiver, but he's even had injuries. In his past, I'll ask you that. We'll we'll unpack that one. Could this injury put Metcalf ahead of Marquise Brown on wide receiver boards? I'm gonna say no. I'm, I'm gonna say no because Brown's um, Brown's injury right now it's it's happened after his seasons are over. Mm-hmm. Metcalf's happened during his season. Metcalf's cut his games short. Now I know that this injury to Brown is cutting his opportunities short in Mm -hmm. terms of combine pro day everything like that but they saw everyone saw everything in his seasons everyone saw what he was able to do and now you could say the same thing with Metcalf you Mm -hmm. could (laughs) I know what you're you're doing there you're trying to hold your your spit in I'm trying I'm trying I'm getting over a cold people so I'm trying not to be gross for you but um so I'm just laughing as Ricky's making that face like, oh, I got to hold this in now. Not only that, for our audio listeners, I don't know if you guys on YouTube can see that, but um, I'm very courteous to you guys, um, and that's just me. That's not me being an asshole. I am. Um, whenever I feel it, I uh, do one of these, and I turn off my microphone <laughs> so you guys don't hear it. Um, but go ahead. But I, you but I, but I called you guy. out. Um but basically, what I looked at you, laughed too, and I'm like, Brandon, don't do it, don't do it. And of course, you went ahead and did it. I did it. Go ahead. I did it because I saw a little smirk come <laughs> across your face too. Um, but anyways, Hollywood Brown had two full seasons of mm-hmm. full seasons of full work of great stats of great production. Metcalf does not have that due to one the team he was on. Mm-hmm. 
and also because of the fact that he was injured. And that's one of the reasons why on my big board I slipped in Hollywood Brown and took out Metcalf is because Hollywood Brown just had so much more volume, so much more production, and I understand two different teams, two different styles, but the one had so much production, while the other, there was a little bit, but it had you wanting more. And and they're both really good athletes. DK Metcalf, people would say that, hey, he's he's more of a freak athlete than than Hollywood Brown is going to be. But still, I think Brown is is still out in front of Metcalf. Mm-hmm. And like right now, I'm looking at the um, the draft network. They have great uh, prospect profiles on these guys, and between the two, Metcalf and Brown, really, it comes down to so Brown is a his best trait is his vertical receiving. Metcalf's best trait is his explosiveness. But the worst traits, it's like Hollywood Browns is blocking where it's like, all right, like wide receivers aren't the most known for throwing a block out there. Like, you know, the like one arm, like, oh, no, no, you're running away from me. No, I I let him pass. Oh, no, like I'm not going to hurt my hands. I need him to catch the ball. Um, whereas Metcalf, his worst trait um, on the profile is his hands, which you look at that and go, hmm, usually uh, wide receivers need good hands in order to catch the ball. And then the red flags are just size and durability for Marquise Brown, which is something he's going to have to overcome with his speed. Like, there's no doubt about it, because even with the injury being 5'10", 168, it's not as big of a red flag as uh, we like to throw around with the quarterbacks, although Baker's in the league. Russell Wilson's in the league. Drew Brees is a shorter quarterback. Um, we throw these guys' names around every time like we're surprised that they're still here. Um, <laughs> but it is something that he's going to have to overcome, which you look at the size for DJ Metcalf, and he is significantly taller at 6'3 compared to 5'10. So there's also that as well. Plus you look at it, and this is – Another thing I don't think we hit on with these guys. Yes, I mentioned A.J. Brown, who would be three on most people's boards. But if you look at it, where's the – and Mark and I kind of hit this a little bit just in a discussion between us – is the first round is going to be interesting this year. Because since there's so much defensive talent, like there are most people that go, oh, man, boring draft. It's got – so much defensive talent, where's the offense? But our team's going to be able to look at it and go, hey, you know what? Because it's so defensive heavy, I know this defensive player is not a big need for us, but we would be idiots not to not to take him. And we got to take him here. Let's target like a Kelvin Harmon out of NC State in maybe the second round or later. Let's target a Nikhil Harry out of ASU later. Let's target a Debo Samuel, a Riley Ridley. That's kind of redundant. I know he's related to Calvin it's, it's Ridley. It's his real name. Um, Riley Ridley. Or even like a Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State. Like, could teams who might need a wide receiver, might have questions about these guys, and go, hey, you know what? This defensive player is here. I know he's not in need, but this could help us sooner. We'll kick that can a round or two down 
and get one of the lesser guys, even if it means we have to work them up a little bit. No, I don't think they do that. Because why would you do that? Why would you go get a guy who's lesser because you think that they might be safer? Mm-hmm. That's That would be my question. You, you may want to take the guy who uh, maybe he's more of a risk. But not really a risk. Mm-hmm. O- the only way that I see if you take if you take uh, Hollywood Brown as being any any sort of risk is that he comes back from the foot injury, re-injures himself before the draft, and you go, you know, we'll take him. He he might still be injured. He may not be ready right away, mm-hmm. but we're going to take him because we know let, what he could be. Let me phrase it this way. The thinking is not on the wide receiver part. The thinking is more on the first round part of like, hey, I know wide receiver is a big, let's just say Marquise Brown. I know wide receiver is a big need for us, but this foot injury, all those questions are in my mind. Is he going to be ready for training so you're, camp? So you're saying we take the defense, are you saying let's, take the defensive player instead? If, because if, if let's say there's a situation like for some odd reason, Quinn and Williams falls or for some odd reason, Ed Oliver falls out of the top 10. Or like a Devin White falls out of the top 10. And it's this where, okay, this guy is falling. I know wide receiver is a big need, but let's go get this defensive standout instead of the wide receiver. Will that happen in this, either with just one or two of these teams, which could just ultimately affect, like if that happens once or twice, that affects where Marquise Brown goes in the draft. I don't think so. I mean, I think if a if a team wants a player, they're going to go after the player they want. They're going to sometimes trade up for him if he's the right position too. Well, exactly. I, I mm-hmm. don't I don't see a team. I mean, how many times are are you going to the uh grocery store? Well, maybe you don't go. But um <laughs> maybe it's somebody else going for it. But how many times are you go into the grocery store and you're and you're Hi, Mom. you're looking for you're looking for something that you want and then mm-hmm. you end up going hmm. I guess I could get this. Quite often. I, walk, I do not. I walk into the grocery store I all do the time not. like, hey, here's what I need. And then I walk down the candy aisle and go, Ooh, I didn't think I needed one of these, but I guess I do. No, or no, no, like, no. But, but, but you're, looking for, you're looking for the specific type of turkey. Yeah. They don't have that type of turkey. Uh-huh. Are you going somewhere else to try and find that exact type of turkey? You're going, I guess I'll go with this lesser one. I don't, you know. Type of deal. Uh, depends on how far the other store is. Depends on how far the other store is. How much of a time crunch am I under? Like, <sighs> Okay, it, so it, maybe it, a bad example, am I, am obviously. I, am I at a party and I need to get back to the party? Or is it like, hey, I just need some Crocus ham and, oh, they're out of Crocus ham, so I guess I'll get some freaking salami. Bad example, obviously. Um, I mean, my, don't, don't my, bring food into this house because I'll, I'll school you with the food. You'll eat it, I know. <laughs> um, but my point is, why would you pass on somebody when they're right there? You could take them, and you go for you know a completely different position because you're worried about what they could be. That's you're focusing on the wrong thing. I, I guess time. I'm confused at your I am, point. Though. I am saying, like, for example, Marquise Brown is the wide receiver. Let's say a guy like Ed Oliver, a guy like Quinn and Williams, a guy like not gonna fall, not gonna fall. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, I'm not saying they will for sure. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical at no. this point. No, no, no. A guy where we didn't think that no. Jeremy Tunsil would fall. No, but no, he but, did. But I'm not talking about no, no to to the fall. And I'm talking about no. That's I would. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. If I'm the team, I don't want. I, I don't care. I don't. 
where I could see some teams going, you know what, we're going to take BPA here over this wide receiver that we get because that could throw a wrench into the situation too of like, shit, I didn't expect this guy to be here, but he's here. Now we've got a decision to make. So, like, if I'm the GM of that team, I have a discussion to make, and I think about it where you seem like if you're the GM, no, I need a wide receiver. That's what I'm getting. Well, because if if you lose out on that, then you're going for somebody else who, Mm -hmm. yes, they could still be good, but a lot of times you want to go with this with this guy unless it's Kevin White mm-hmm. um because they're going to be really good they're going to they're going to pan out you got any uh hard feelings about Kevin White uh no because at this point it, I've just almost blocked him completely out I, of my mind is his contract almost up for the bears I I, even... I I have no idea I, when they still say his name it's just kind of like who's he and why is he here um Let's but see. I'm going to look it up for you but ultimately no I am I'm usually set. I want to take I want to take those offensive players because as and defense is extremely important. Mm-hmm. But if you've already set your mind to offense and you need a wide receiver, most likely you really need a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. If that was the number one thing, I, I just I'm also more just the offensive guy. So I'm also the offensive coordinator saying, Oh, yes, you've got to go with that <laughs> offensive guy. Bring in that wide receiver. Any final thoughts on this with Marquise Brown, the wide receivers in the draft, anything? I don't think it's going to kill his draft stock. I don't think it's going to hurt him that much. I mean, again, there's examples in the past of guys who have had similar things happen to them where they really can't uh, go out there and showcase their skills at the Combine or a pro day, but they still end up being taken. They still end up turning out to be a good quality player, Mm -hmm. but then it also ends up where – Okay, they're a good quality player. Are they in the right system? Are they on a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars where they don't use their wide receivers that much mm-hmm. or are they because they don't have a good quarterback or are they on a team like the uh gosh, who, who who's a team oh, are they are they on a team like the Rams that mm-hmm. all they do is throw the football yeah. or the Chiefs who all they do is throw the football. Those would be my then questions. Uh, are you are you then put in a system where you're set up for success? Or put in a system where there could be some struggles. Also, this is going to be very confusing for our YouTubers um, because we split this into segments on YouTube. But if you're on podcast services or you're watching the full video on YouTube, um, quick update from our basketball conversation we had in the first topic. Um, with 349 to go in the second half, Virginia's kind of pulling away, 58 to 47. So uh, that little question I threw about, oh, maybe they lose tonight against Virginia Tech, um, doesn't look like it may happen. But who knows, at the end of the podcast, it may be something totally different, especially when you guys are watching this on <laughs> YouTube a couple days from now. But let us know what you guys think about Marquise Hollywood Brown and his foot injury down below in the comments section. How does him missing the combine, not doing the probe day, affect his draft stock? Where, like, does it even affect it at all? And where do you think he will get drafted in the NFL draft? Let us know what you think down below. But, Brandon, let's close everything out on the podcast today, going back to the hard court, or the hard wood is what I should say, the basketball court. We're going back to college basketball, and we're going to talk about what you were telling me before we hit the record button, and I asked you, are you... uh, being sarcastic or not, but no, you're being serious. Your favorite team um, from last year to watch in the tournament, the Nevada Wolfpack, who last year, if you do not remember, um, Nevada finished the, they were a seventh seed. They played Loyola from right here in Chicago. 
They lost to Loyola on that magical, um, what is it, Sister, what was it, Sister June? Jean. Sister Jean. Yeah, Sister Jean. Um, on that magical run by Loyola, well, this year, they're even better, Brandon. They've only lost one game all year, which was to New Mexico, and it was a shellacking by New Mexico, 85-68. to 68. You would think a team that's only got one loss would have lost a close game to New Mexico. They've beaten USC. They've beaten Arizona State. They have beaten Loyola, who they played last year in the tournament. They have basically beat almost everyone that they played, and the rest of their schedule is uh, not that tough. Let's be honest, Wyoming um, only put up 49 points against them, and they won 82-49. to I will ask you this question when it comes to Nevada. Are they this year's dark horse to make the Final Four? Because they almost did. They had a good chance last year if it wasn't for Sister Jean and those Loyola Ramblers. Gosh darn it, Sister Jean. <laughs> I'll tell you what. No, I was I was really excited to watch Nevada last year, especially their, their first game against Texas. Mm-hmm. One of those games where you're like, they're not going to win. They probably shouldn't win. They're winning. They won. <laughs> and how and many then people how, picked them? And then how about the next game? How about the next game yeah, against Cincinnati? Against the number two seeded Bearcats. <laughs> they are not going to win this game. They're down by a lot. Okay, turn that one off. Go to the next game. Mm-hmm. Ten minutes later. Holy crap. Yeah. They're down by two. We're sticking to this game. They win that game. Cincinnati is upset. My bracket just went to crap. Yeah, they were down 44 and to 32 it, it was, and a half. It was, it was such a great team to watch and even in the game against Loyola which mm-hmm. Loyola you know especially when you're in Chicago you should be rooting for Loyola Chicago right now I wasn't I didn't care I mean it was a great story but I wanted Nevada I, I know, was rooting for everyone's it. around me like go Loyola and I silently to myself shut up <laughs> Nevada to win um, but anyways I was I mean it was it was unfortunate that those two teams had to play each other because mm-hmm. those were two teams that had these kind of miracle dream uh Cinderella seasons and Cinderella mm-hmm. seasons in the in the postseason in the in the national tournament. I wish they could have played somebody else instead of playing each other, but it w- ended up being a great game and it was a great run for both of them. And and truly, I was very happy to see Loyola do as well as they did. But Nevada is definitely Ricky. I think a candidate for a dark horse this year for the Final Four. It, they, it, the Martin brothers are back. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's first of all. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Cody and Caleb, they're back again. They are fun to watch. One of those guys, if not both, can take over a game at any moment. They've done it all season long. They did it in the postseason last year. This is a team that's got the potential, that has the coaching and the mentality to be able to make it to the Final Four. That's what. That's what I think. Number one is big. They have the talent. The coaching, the strategy, the mentality to do it, the calmness in those games, if they're able to carry that into the postseason in the tournament this year, there's a really good chance that they are able to make it at Elite Eight, Final Four, possibly beyond that, unless, of course, there's a team like they were last year that comes up and bites them. So here's the thing I'm looking at, and seeding is going to be – very, very important, which first off, the thing I will throw out is you want to know what set the table for Nevada and Loyola last year? Guess what region they were in? Not the Virginia region, 
the UMBC region, baby. The one seed was knocked out right away. The final, like, <laughs> the last four teams in that region, basically the Sweet 16, number nine, Kansas State, number five, Kentucky, number 11, Loyola, number seven, Nevada. All top four seeds. Virginia lost in the first round. Arizona lost in the first round to Buffalo. Um, you had Tennessee lose in the second round to that Loyola team, and you had Cincinnati lose in the second round to that Nevada team. And the thing that I look at now is I wonder if by being better this year, if that is going to hurt them this year in the tournament. Because last year they were a seventh seed, Brandon. And if I look up, I'm going to pull it up here to see the exact percentages if they have it here. No, they don't have those. Um, percentage, but basically a seven to nine. Basically, the seven to nines and the or the seven and oh, what would that be? I'm screwing it up here. Seven tens. The seven tens and the eight nine games are almost like coin flips, especially that eight nine. Game they are eight nine where, for sure. So you're going from a coin flip game, which some may say yes, that odds is lower than this, but let's look at this. And especially off the year we're coming from, 413, there have been 28 13 seeds to beat four seeds in NCAA tournament history. To almost 21% of the time, the ter- 13th seed, the 13th seed, the 13th seed beats the number four seed. Last year, not only did Marshall beat Wichita State, Buffalo beat Arizona oh. last year. And if you look at it, twenty like the last five to do it. So we had two last year. Hawaii did it to Cal. That was the um, I want to say that was the Jalen Brown Ivan uh, Rab Cal team lost to Hawaii in twenty sixteen. Twenty thirteen, LaSalle beat Kansas State. Twenty twelve, Ohio beat Michigan. You and I were on a bus. Coming home from Kentucky because we were just got done calling a NAIA women's basketball game. I remember that game vividly, watching it on the bus because John Gross was the head coach of that Bobcat team that beat Michigan. And then in 2011, I think it was Kenneth Fareed, don't quote me on that one, um, his Moorhead State Eagles um, beat Louisville in 2011. I know what you're saying. Well, Ricky, that was what, eight years ago? Um, What does that have to do with anything? The point is, my first point is just because Nevada is going to be a four seed, and I throw the four seed out because in Joe Lenardi's bracketology, they are on the four line, and I don't really know if they're going to be able to climb to the three line because of how weak their conference is. Like, they're not coming from the toughest of conference. Like I just said, they just beat Wyoming 89 to 49 or something like that. Um, Whereas they're not going to jump to the three lines right now are Houston, Kansas, Purdue, and Marquette. Maybe Houston. Maybe you can jump Houston, but I'm not even confident with that. I don't see them jumping a Purdue. I don't see them jumping a Kansas. I don't see them jumping a Marquette. So for me, when it comes to final four dark horses, I kind of look at it and go, yes, they should have an easier road because they play like 
more double-digit teams. Like, if they beat the 13, then they'll play either the 5 or the 12. Then they'll play probably the 1 seed, unless we get a, like, miraculous UMBC team this year. I wonder if by being the 4 seed, though, their road would be harder than it was last year, virtually making their road to the Final Four harder, if I'm going to be redundant. It would just be a harder road in general. Well, because I also think that you're when you're the top-seeded teams, mm-hmm. you are su- supposed to be the better one. Excuse me, the better the better team in the game. There's not as much, you know, there's, I think there's maybe more, pardon me, there's more pressure riding on you mm-hmm. to, to win this game and, and get it done. Whereas opposed to some of these teams that are coming in that are a, a 13, that are a 12, that are certainly 14 or beyond, there's not as much pressure. Some of these teams, they're just really stoked that they got in the tournament. Mm-hmm. There's these teams, they're playing loose, they're they're not playing with a with a lot of pressure behind them. They're going out there. They're having fun, and I think a lot of times that makes it easier for them when they start to get up on an, another team. If they do, that the the top seeded teams, the top seeded teams sometimes are like, "What do we do? We, this has not happened all season long." Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's their first look or taste of adversity in the season, but. I, I do think it's it's about seeding. It's about the the region that you're in, the other teams that are in with you. It's about all those factors mm-hmm. because right now, Joe Lenardi and his bracketology, he has Nevada as the four, then Indiana or Oklahoma as the 13. Then if Nevada won that game, they'd be playing right now either Louisville the five, Minnesota the 12. Good luck against Louisville. They almost that's, beat Duke. That's that's what I was <laughs> going. But then they found a way to shockingly lose it. And then you could play Virginia, who's your one seed. So so you're not looking at an easy road. Mm-hmm. You're not looking at an easy road there. And look who the two seed is in that region. I know Kentucky. Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky. So Here, it's it's not it's not easy at all. But I I, I think that what were they last year? Do you remember what a they seven. were? They were a seven. So you're you're at a point where seven you're solid, but you weren't the greatest, mm-hmm. and they had a road that just they they beat they the but 10, they also but they, they also beat the two and then got to play they, the eleven. But they also had magic, and that's mm-hmm. and a spark. That's what you need when it gets to this tournament. tournament because it's not always about the team that's mm-hmm. more talented. It's about the team that plays the best that day well, that has everything go well for them. That's the Best, most exciting thing, and for other head coaches, losing uh, teams' head coaches, Mm -hmm. the most frustrated thing, frustrating thing, because if you come and you've been shooting lights out, let's just say, let's just say, I'm talking crazy here, but Duke comes out and they're all cold day one. If the other team is not cold, Duke could lose. Game one, the best team, the team that almost everyone's going to have winning their tournament. Because one, it's Duke, and two, they're the best team in the country, mm-hmm. hands down. But if they come out and they shoot poorly, it's all over. Mm-hmm. And every stat, every strategy, every anything that somebody thought of, it's gone. It's out the window. And I love it. I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> because it's so exciting. And it makes for a fun tournament. Everyone's watching it. 
everyone's watching it. Let me put it this this way though too is so I'm looking at the the last three years where all the number four teams won in their first round. I'm gonna go through those really quick. 2017, 15, and 2014. In 2017, here were the four seeds. I'm gonna tell you their first round and then how far they got. The first one, Florida. They beat East Tennessee State in their first game. Florida was a really good team that year. They went all the way to the Elite Eight before losing to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. That uh, Synthonius Thornwell, Synthonius Thornwell, Thornwell, that uh, Gamecock team that went all the way to the Final Four. Then West Virginia. They beat Bucknell in the first round only by six, but they got through it. They went all the way to the Sweet 16 before just barely losing to the Gonzaga Bulldogs in the Sweet 16. Purdue Boilermakers, they beat the Catamounts from Virginia 80-70. to They went to the Sweet 16 before losing to Kansas. And then the last one in 2017, Butler, they had that 12-point win over Winthorpe in the first round. They went to the Sweet 16 before losing to the number one seeded team, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Then in 2015, you've got Maryland. They beat Valpo. It was a close game, three-point game. They had to stave them off. They still got the win. They were bounced the next game by the five seed. Then you have North Carolina. They beat Harvard. That was an overtime game. They beat them by two, so it was close. But North Carolina went to the Sweet 16 before losing to the number one seeded team. Then you've got Louisville. They beat Cal of Irvine. They went to the Elite Eight before losing to Michigan. And then that 2015-year Georgetown won and done, beat Eastern Washington, lost to Utah in the next round. And then 2014, because Brandon, I know I'm boring you at this point, um, Michigan State, they beat Delaware in the first game, 93-78. to They went all the way to the Elite Eight before losing to UConn in the Elite Eight game. San Diego State, they went to the Sweet 16 after beating New Mexico State in a thrilling first-round game. Lost to the number one seeded team. You're catching a trend here. Usually this team runs into the number one seeded team and loses and gets spanked and goes down. Then you have Louisville. They beat Manhattan. Where did they go, Brandon? The Sweet 16. However, they lost to the eight seeded team because that was the year Wichita was the number one seeded and people were upset that Kentucky was an eight seed. They thought they should have been ranked a little bit higher. Yeah, that Louisville team lost to Kentucky because Kentucky got a favorable seeding in that bracket. And that's the whole thing, kind of going to your point, too, that last one. What if there's a team like that Kentucky team where it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. That's an eight seed? That's not an eight seed. That's a two seed. Why are they an eight seed? Or like, whoa, that's not an eight seed. That's a three seed. Why are they an eight seed? And, oh, wait, it doesn't matter. You still got to play them because you won the games. Like, that to me is kind of the ebb and flow of this of like, yes, someone's going to say, well, of course, that's what the tournament is. Like you just, you play, it's like golf, play it as it lies. You play it as it lies. However, maybe being a four seed uh, may come back to bite the Nevada Wolfpack this year, which I will say definitively, I think it will. I don't think this Nevada team goes to the final four. I think we're seeing a trend. If they can get out of, and this depends on who they're playing to, but I just, I'm looking in the crystal ball. I'm seeing the history, Brandon. Mm 
what am I seeing? You get out of the first round, you usually win the second round, you lose to the number one seed. Like, that's what I'm seeing. And based on the number one seeds that we looked at, just answer the question, can they beat Duke? Can they beat Virginia? Can they beat Kentucky? Can they beat Gonzaga? Maybe that might be the one seed that they can beat. Can they beat Tennessee? Can they beat Michigan? That's the question you have to answer. All those teams we considered for a one a one seed, can they beat one of those teams? If they can, put them as a dark horse for the Final Four. If not, they ain't going there. Is it stupid of me to say that the answer to my to you, every single one of your questions you just said is yes? That they could? Yeah. It's... It, and, and the reason I'll I say and the reason this. the reason I say they it though could, but is likely. because reason I reason I say it tournament time did we think that Cincinnati was going to lose no did we think that Virginia a number one seed was going to lose to a sixteen mm-hmm. not a chance there you go that's all the proof and evidence that I need to be able to show to say Ricky I'm happy with what you just stated and what you just Mm -hmm. went through to show do you see the pattern here where guess what the pattern for every year that the ncaa tournament has been around for college basketball not a single one seed had fallen Mm -hmm. many people just started to come to the belief that it was never going to happen consistently always winning were the one seeds sometimes it was close Mm -hmm. but they always won this past year, Virginia just didn't have it. Well, I'm and they also, lost. No, no, no. I'm also going to throw out this. And Virginia, although I will say before I make this point, UMBC did come to play. But one of the big things heading into that game, heading into that tournament, did everyone think it was going to happen in the first game? No. But Virginia had a big, big injury coming into that. I want to say it was DeAndre Hunter was who was injured, to where it was a point where I had Virginia as my champion. And I listened to the night of ESPN kind of doing their breakdown, and I'm listening to it. And Jay Billis, he was speaking to the nation, but I felt like he was looking right at me and, like, (laughs) speaking just at me. And he said, Ricky, he did say this. He said, Ricky, this injury takes them out of the national championship. Do not have them in your national championship. And I changed them. I only he had ran them go for his computer and made the change. I didn't have to run for it. It was right in front of me. But I made the change. I said, you know what? You're right. This injury is going to affect them. It did. It affected their whole team. It changed how they played. And UMBC, you got to say, they did take advantage. There was that. But also, you got to look at the other side of it. Like, the other two one seeds, for every Virginia... There's a Villanova. Did we expect Villanova to lose last year before the Final Four? No. And they didn't. They ran through their side. Kansas, the same thing, went right through it. Even if I'm just going to go back to 2017 because I could go further. Villanova, they were a one seed, got bounced out in the second round to a Wisconsin team. Gonzaga, though? They went all the way. They went all the way to the Final Four. Kansas, Elite Eight before that Oregon team shocked them. North Carolina, all the way to the Final Four. And that's another thing, too, of, and that's why I love the tournament, 
and why there's no definitive answer. Like, I could sit here and go, yes, I don't think that Nevada is going to be a Final Four team this year. But I don't have the answers. <laughs> Zion, I'm going to say this and hope it doesn't. Zion Williamson could go down. R.J. Barrett could go down. Cam Reddish could go down. They'd be fine without Cam. Changes Duke. They would be fine, but it would change their dynamic completely, especially Zion. Would change their dynamic. You look at Tennessee. Grant Williams goes down. Changes the dynamic of that team overall. Like, any of these players on these teams could go down. There's also, like you have mentioned, which is a great point, one cold day of shooting. Your season's over. You're done. Like, in the NBA, and this is the thing that kind of why I like college compared to the NBA, is in the NBA, oh, we came out, we had a bad game. It's okay, game two's tomorrow. Or it's okay, game two is in two days. Whereas in the NCAA tournament, shit, we lost, my season's over. I'm no longer, like, I'm a one and done, I'm going to the NBA now, or I'm a senior my eligibility is now over. And that's the great thing about it. Do I see Nevada being a Final Four dark horse? No, because I think I think that the one seeds this year are going to be tough to get through. And this could be a year, could be a year, where we see three, if not all four, one seeds get to the Final Four. Won't happen. Never happens the way that we predict it. Mm-hmm. Never. Never does. Duke will lose in round two. Virginia will lose in the first game again. Back-to-back years of being knocked out by the 16. I mean, most likely that won't happen, but there's going to be crazy stuff that happens. It always does. That Mm -hmm. throws a monkey wrench into things, and everyone looks at their bracket and goes, wait, you can peel that off the wall? Because I'm wrong again. And I mean, that's the beauty of it, though. But that's also the excitement and the energy of college basketball. Mm -hmm. And March Madness in this tournament is because anything could happen any given day. It is so exciting. It's so fun. It has so many people amped up, players, coaches, fans. It is one hell of a tournament that gets so much attention. But again, we cannot predict anything. We can say our all of our stats. We can give all the history. We can give all the insight. People can talk on ESPN. We can talk with the quote-unquote experts. But at the end of it all, we do not know what's going to happen. Well, and We I'll... do not know, and that is the best thing because, again, I, you men- I mentioned it, you mentioned it, and I'll mention it again. If a team like Nevada, let's say, because mm-hmm. you're, you're not convinced that they could be a dark horse for the final four. And I'm taking them because the segment's supposed to be about Nevada, yeah. but, it, but it became all college basketball. That's fine. But they're playing Louisville. Let's say round two. They got past both got past round one. Congrats. Mm-hmm. Round two. Louisville comes out and they play the way that Duke basically played against them for most of the game. Nevada plays like Louisville did, mm-hmm. but that Louisville isn't able to come back from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all you need. That's all you need is one day of playing your best basketball and hope that you can go and play it again the next day. Or all you need is one day of playing 
eh, mediocre basketball, but making the right changes, the right adjustments at halftime, and you end up winning the game. The tournament's all about an adjustment. It's all about adjustments. It's all about what head coaches have in their creative box because there's a lot of times they need to come out and they need to quickly, quickly change how they're playing, quickly change their setup, their defense, their offensive sets, and they need to do that very quickly. This is calling into account what head coaches are really good, really on top of it, very creative, very experienced, and which ones they don't, they're not able to do it. Mm-hmm. And then how effective are those players then being able to make those changes? That's where adjustments certainly come into play. So this year will be Nevada's third tournament appearance in the current head coach's kind of reign. The first one was in 2017. <coughs> they were a 12 seed. They lost in the first round. Last year was their second, so back-to-back. It'll be their third plus their third in a row. Last year, we've already said it. They won game one, won game two, and then lost game three. Here's the thing kind of bringing it back to Nevada that I think will be interesting is, number one, they've gotten better each year. Yes, it was a little bit of a jump last year, um, and they were honestly very close to being a repeat of – their 2017 like the ball bounces another way I know ball don't lie but the ball bounces in our way Texas wins the game we're not having this conversation right now it's a very different conversation because they were not a sweet 16 team last year then but the thing that I look at is the adjustment of like okay coach came in maybe that Iowa State game in 2017. All right, this is the first tournament game that I'm coaching. Wasn't ready for. And I don't know if that's the case. I'm just throwing it out. Then the next year, okay, I got my boys ready. The next day, like even having that day in between, we made the adjustments we needed to. Having that week off, maybe that's what got us to where the other team's game plan got us. I wonder if this year it's going to be, okay, we're going to be ready for that this time. We were ready for the first part last year. Now we're going to be ready for the second week this year, where that week that you have between the first and second round and the Sweet 16 and the Lead 8, we're going to be ready for that. And if they're ready for that and can get it done, because that's another unique thing about the tournament. Game 1 to Game 2... You get one game to game plan. Game two to game three, I get an entire week to game plan for you. Then it's game three, game four, I get one day. Game four, game five, I get an entire week. And then the national championship, I believe, is an entire week as well. But that also at Nevada Nevada will be important is if they get to the second weekend this year, will they be... I don't want to say they weren't ready last year, but will they be more prepared this year because of what happened last year against Loyola? You like to always think that you're going to learn from what you did in the past, and Eric Musselman has shown that he's, a, I think, a very good head coach, a very good college basketball coach, and, and the right guy leading this Nevada Wolfpack team. 
I, I'm excited for what they can do this this postseason. I'm excited for how far they can possibly go because, like I said last year, they just they became the team that I was really excited to watch mm-hmm. and enjoyed watching whenever Nevada was playing. I'm like. Okay, stick me in front of the TV <laughs> at that time because that's the game I'm watching. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, it was that much fun. They were exciting, electric, and and I I hope for the same this year. So I'm going to ask you this because we can't say, all right, Brandon, Final Four because we don't know who they're going to play. No, but let's use Joe Lenardi as the example. Okay, so just to read off what he's got for our audio listeners: one seed Virginia playing a 16 seed of Norfolk State. Norfolk State or St. Francis. 8-9 would be Baylor-Auburn. 5-12 is Louisville-Minnesota. 4-13 is Nevada versus either Indiana or Oklahoma. 6-11 is Maryland-Linscombe. 3-14 is Kansas-South Dakota State. Cincinnati is 7. Wolford is 10. And then 2-15 is Kentucky and Texas State. Using those, what Joe Lenardi has, how far would Nevada get? Would they be that team that reaches the Final Four? Or if not, where would they get to? Sweet 16. And I'm assuming losing to Virginia? Yeah. Sweet 16 lose to Virginia. That's that's what I think Mm -hmm. will happen. But now people might say, well, Brandon, you said that they could be a dark horse for the Final Four. Yeah, they could be. They could also lose first round. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I can't say with certainty. If you had, I can tell you what I think will happen, mm-hmm. I can also have my hope, my belief of what could happen, and that's where, where that's where I fall with saying that they could be a dark horse for them. I got either one of one or two outcomes, and it depends on that second game. You either lose in the second game to Louisville, or you lose in the Elite Eight to Kentucky. Like that's how it goes in my mind because. If this bracket was laid out, I mean, maybe Minnesota. Like, Minnesota to me has no like no room to even be in the same ball court as Louisville because you lost to Illinois. Like, you've got that stamp on you. So, like, wear it with pride because you lost. I know we're winning. And it's like we've the got Scarlet Letter. Streak, but you lost to you us wear when an we— eye around. Yeah. You lost to us when we were bad, not when we were on this win streak, um, which right now Minnesota should be, hey, hey you beat Michigan State. Um, I know we're playing better now, but we beat you when we were bad. Um, so you've got that. Then Virginia, I feel confident with them getting to the Sweet 16, but I think Nevada coming off of a win against Louisville, that I know that when we talk to coaches – they don't like to believe some coaches don't like to believe in the momentum thing. I think that it adds a boost of confidence when you beat a tougher team that might carry them in Virginia. I don't see Nevada beating Kentucky though. Kentucky, we talked about them earlier. If they play like they did against Tennessee, chalk them to the final four um, because they're going to be a team. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Kentucky Duke in the final. Could you imagine that? First game of the year they play each other. Last game of the year they play each other. Let's see how they've done the rest of the year. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? I wish it was March. That's my final We're thought. Close. I wish. I wish We're it close. was. We're halfway there. I wish it was March right now, and I wish <laughs> it was about March fifteenth because that would be the Friday before everything kicks it's off. The Big that, Ten cause, tournament. Because yeah. then, then the the next day is all the you know St. Patrick's Day everything, mm-hmm. and then boom that week. 
We are... Mm -hmm. We're off to the races. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Nevada, are they a dark horse for the Final Four? What's your percentage also? I know the percentages don't matter, um, but what's your percentage that they'll make the Final Four? And how'd you come up with that? Did you throw a dart at a board? <laughs> Did you ask your dog and your dog told you? Let us know what you think. That's what also, Ricky does. Make sure to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Podcast. We cannot do what we do each and every week without the support of our patrons. Also, go and rate and review the Primetime Podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. want to thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.